This is the Director's Podcast with Jeff T. Thomas, Part 2. So just jumping into part two, you know, how, how do you think your process has changed from, say, shooting The Woodsman, like from the moment you go from script to screen, from, you know, where you are today with The Watchmen or any of your other projects? You know, it's very interesting. I don't think my process has changed much. I think right. I still meticulously shot list and storyboard. Maybe one thing I did on Woodsman that I have not done was I storyboarded the entire Woodsman before I even had a producer on board, I think. And I'm not that insane anymore. <laughs> or, or I don't have, you know, I now have two kids and a lot of, of other things to take my time. Um, but I'd actually suggest it. Like, I remember when I sat down and drew the woodsman, I learned a lot about uh, the script and it led to some great script notes or cuts or transitions. Um, but to this day, I deeply, deeply, deeply prepare. And, um, and you know, I've, I've often looked at the directors that don't so much as like, it's a luxury I can't afford, you know, that, um, again, as we've talked a little bit about, there was no room for failure. You know, if I fail, it takes me years to recover. Um, mm -hmm. So, and I, not to say I won't in the future, but um, I've always... I've always done that level of rehearse if I can, if I feel like I should, um, and storyboard and shot list and do all that work in advance. Do you do that on your script? Do you do it as a separate document? I have to have the script myself. You know, I have to have all my notes next to it. Is that something that you do or do you do you work from sides and have a storyboard or how do, how do you work? Um, well, I definitely love having my screenplay with me. But on the day, so I have my script and I write kind of keynotes in it, but then I have a separate set of either storyboard or shot list. And then um, one thing I do that I'm not sure I've seen other people do and I, I don't know how it evolved, but what I do is I take my sides and I, I love getting my day set of sides and then I... I'll check my tone notes or the script, and if there's any keywords or notes that I've written in the script, I put them in the sides. But I like having the size of the sides because I can stick them in my pocket. And if it's a scene that has a long, if it's a long scene with a lot of dialogue, I'll sit there at the monitor with the, the sides turned over and scribble notes on the back as we go. Um, and then I can go around and distribute those notes between takes. Um, and maybe I've always, I've often wondered, like, if I didn't write it down, could I trust myself to remember the notes? Um, but I, there's a short, like, I found if it's over a page or two, like, if it's a four or five page scene, I need the, I need the, to write them down. 
Are these notes on for the DP, for the actors, for the ev- background, Everyone. for everything? Everything. everything. They're anything that strikes me, and yeah. um, and then and I and I and I do that because if I can remember to get all the notes out as much as possible, then it's fewer takes I'll need to do. Yeah. Um, yeah. And how do you how do you feel? How is your how is your progression in takes? Do you do you like to do a lot, a little, or no. just whatever it takes? I really I rarely do a lot. Um, the most I've ever done has always been for technical reasons. If it's a mm-hmm. like a very complicated camera move, a crane, you know, um, those can get quite high. Um, um, but in terms of performance, I really think I hover around three three or four you know on a pilot four or five um but again very rarely do i go go past that on watchman i had a tool that i hadn't used much before which was playback and you know i'd used playback on other shows for um visual effects things where we were trying to line up shots or stunts or something but on Watchmen, we we had it for run of show, and I actually fell in love with it. And um, mm. you know, just we were using it mainly. We we started with it for composition reasons because we were doing such meticulous transition shots. And um, but I found getting to rewatch the performance gave me those couple more minutes of time to think on what that mm-hmm. note was that I wanted. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, as you know, on being on set, you have to kind of find sneaky ways to have thinking time because it's all mm-hmm. about making decisions. And, you know, if you can just have a second to think, it's kind of a miracle. Did you allow the actors to look at the monitor or to look at the playback as well? Or is that something just for you? I, I definitely don't want to. Um, I prefer not to. Um, but when Jeremy Irons <laughs> asks mm. to, you know, he gets to watch. And he, you know, there's um, there were a couple of, like Jeremy Irons wanted to watch uh, Tim Blake Nelson. Um, and with Jeremy, I realized right away it was a tool he used, you know, and he was really it was something he was used to using. So it wasn't for me to, to take it away. Um, and it wasn't constant, but if he saw me there studying it, he was going to come over, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I, he, I equally could have said to him, no, let's just go again. And he'd be like, okay. You know. So you didn't have, you didn't have it on your, either of your two movies? Mm-mm. No. It's funny. I, I come from. I started in music videos, and I went into commercials. And both of those, especially commercials, you always have playback, and you'll study, and you get the nightmare comments from clients and all of that stuff. It's a whole different thing. But I remember my, getting my first gig in television and realizing there wasn't playback, and I felt like there was something huge missing. And then when I started working, uh, you know, more and getting into it, I remember reading this quote from Joel Schumacher and he said, you know, he hates uh, playback on movies because he's convinced all the actors are doing a look is looking at their hair. Right. Well, and that's why I had never wanted it. Um, I always felt like if you're going to take time to look at playback, just go ahead and do a new take. Um, 
and I, I felt very guarded of, of not having cast use it. Um, and there's, but fortunately I've, the actors, fortunately on Watchmen, I got to work with actors who really knew, um, like Jeremy knew he liked to look at it. Uh, somebody else is like, I know I do not need to see that, you know, um, and that it would have made them more self-conscious. So I think you have to be extremely careful with it. Um, mm. But it also can tremendously slow down your day. Yeah. And yeah. so I'm still on the side of, um, you know, if, you, if you're thinking about doing a new take, just do it. Um, yeah. But it was, you know, it was pivotal in, in like the... 19, the Tulsa 1921 sequence because I had four cameras rolling and it was such a huge event every time we called action, the amount of what was happening. And so to be able to watch playback with the, and mainly that's, you know, I would bring the operators over, you know, and, and just like in running time as I'm looking at it, talk to the operator, okay, you got this on that one, this time on this pass, focus on some whatever the note was. And I could, because there's no way in real time I saw what all four cameras were getting. Um, so. Um, Obviously that's a phenomenal sequence and incredibly dramatic and emotional. How did you, because it's such a sensitive subject, uh, yeah, how did you approach that? Did you approach it the same as you would something else, or did you approach it more tentatively, or how? I I was not not more tentatively. I think even more viciously proactive in preparing. You know, it was mm -hmm. just um, I knew the weight of recreating a true story that hasn't been told, um, hadn't been told, and those kind of atrocities made me and the crew just be so vigilant on trying to get it right. You know, yeah. we, me and my team, thanks to a book Damon passed to us, all read this book called The Burning by Tim Madigan, which was an account. Uh, he, he got interviews with survivors, family members of. Um, so we read that and then we tried to you know, obviously it was a 36 hour massacre that we're trying to convey the horror of in those, in that minute. Mm -hmm. um, so we read the book and then um, one thing that was really incredible and is very rare was through my, the advice of my assistant director, who's brilliant, Carrie Bruno, she was able to bring like 30 of the background actors to rehearse, uh, which it's very hard to get rehearsal time period, let alone with background actors. Yeah, yeah. But by bringing in 30 people, they could outline kind of the events. Well, first we wrote what the, a beat sheet for what the story would be from the theater to the garage. But then she rehearsed those beats with the actors and each actor that came was able to become a team leader of their scene with the day players. Um, so that was one way to get people very prepared. But then emotionally, because of what we were asking people to take on, both as perpetrators and victims, um, I asked Damon to write a letter to the cast and crew um, to kind of 
thank them or pay honor to them and to the story and the ancestors we were talking about. And then it happened to be the first day of the filming of the pilot, and it was on the anniversary of the massacre. Um, so I asked if, I, if the producer, if we could have um, a priest come bless the set, you know, and bring all the cast and crew together. And it was extremely powerful. And, and I got that idea from Ava DuVernay. I was like reading, how did she do the Selma bridge scene? Yeah. And, yeah. and I heard and I read that she had had a priest come bless the set. And that was like, that was the light bulb to me of like, yes, let's, let's do that. And it was extremely powerful. And then at the assistant director also had uh, billboards put up around the set, which had the information of the true story. So we all just really took it as an opportunity to um, learn as much as we could and to honor it as profoundly as we could. Yeah, well, you certainly did. You shot that over how many days? A day and a half. Good, okay. Yeah. But emotionally incredibly draining as well, I can yeah. imagine. Yeah, so we had two days in that town and half the first, so I do remember the first shoot of that day, that, and that we started in the garage and had a morning in the garage and then went out to the street in the afternoon and then the second day to be on the street. And then fortunately our third day of filming was a Friday and it was the quiet scene between Don Johnson and the wife of the officer who'd been shot. And so it was incredible to go from being with like 250 people to just two. And it was mm. beautifully structured shoot because it allowed us to get through the thing that was going to be scariest and hardest and get that and triumph on, on that and then have a restful, quiet day. Mm. I think, yeah, especially when you're working with scenes like that, how you schedule your time is so important, yeah. right? It's, uh, you know, you don't want to leave those things to midnight on a Friday night. Yeah, or exactly. Scene, so <laughs> so um, let's talk about some of the more defining moments of your career, additional to what you've already given us. My high was definitely, you know, the moment the first night the woodsman screened at Sundance, you know, it's yeah. just like a, you know, your life's heading one way and then it does a sharp turn. Um, um, you know, a, a low was definitely, you know, when the reviews came out on a little bit of heaven and within 12 hours I found myself vomiting on the floor of the bathroom, you know. How did you come back from that? Because I hear... I mean, fortunately, you were shooting television at the time. Exactly. What was your What was your process to to come to back recover? To that? It's a great question. Um, luckily, I did have the killing happening, um, yeah. so I had momentum on the television side, because I've also had huge setbacks on the television side. You know, I before the killing, I directed on a television show in. Um, New York and I it did not go well and I didn't work in New York City for another six years you know so there's not I'm just I want to share that because it's not like TV was a cakewalk either 
Um, and there's other shows that I didn't get invited back to. You know, it's there's so many um, things you learn from. And so much also comes down to chemistry between yeah. people. But um, the, the other huge thing I did when the second film didn't do well was I really thought about um, my roots in the woodsman and what had worked. And so I pursued and um, finally, like I, it took me years, but I pursued the novel uh, by Barbara Kingsolver called Prodigal Summer. And I really wanted to adapt that. And I'd been trying to reach her, but not getting through to her. And so finally I wrote like this just deeply passionate love letter to her. And my manager got it to her agent and her agent agreed to show her the letter. And so we met and she allowed me to option the book. And so I, I started writing again. And um, it was a, it's a kind of interesting similarity to The Woodsman in that once I did the first draft, she liked where I was going because I was showing her. And um, so she came on as a co-writer. And unfortunately, that film has not gotten made. You know, it was, um, it never got financing. I had producer Adore attached to it. Um, and that's one of my heartbreaks, but it did, it was instrumental to my recovery because it was yeah. where I was putting my creative energy. And so I never didn't have a project I wanted to be making. And meanwhile, I was getting more and more opportunity in television. Um, I just never knew, it, it's only in hindsight that I realized now that I directed my way out of director's jail. Mm. Yeah. On the feature side. I'm fascinated how people get back up again and just yeah. keep going. Because I think that's one thing that's consistent throughout everybody that's been working for a period of time. Is that they don't allow themselves to stay in directed jail. They just right. keep working and yeah. keep pushing. Yeah. But what about Westworld? How, how is that? Obviously, I worked with Joe and her, uh, Nolan on um, a Person of Interest. No, you did. Fantastic, fantastically smart, amazing guy. How was that experience for you? I had a, I had a great time on Westworld. It's where um, I met uh, assistant director Carrie Bruno, who I brought on to Watchmen, and I loved working with Lisa Joy and Jonah and um, their amazing producer Athena. Um, and I had a fantastic DP, um, David. You know, it was it was a very hard project. Um, it's an action-packed episode. That was a so crazy yeah. action-packed. Yeah. It was crazy action-packed. But again, just the, the what's amazing working for HBO is they give you what you need. And yeah. you know, in terms of that show, it was um, it was like making because of the different storylines. Um, you know, I. You would make one storyline and then have a couple days in between and then go make the other one. And so um, it allowed me to really tackle each one just individually. Um, but I, you know, and I got to work with an extraordinary storyboard artist. You know, like you, that's where the fun of Watchmen and getting to build that crew from 
the ground up was I got to kind of pull like the greatest hits together of my last yeah. 10 years. Um, you know, Westworld, you know, I got to work with Anthony Hopkins <laughs> and yeah. Ed Harris and Tessa Thompson and like um, Jeffrey Wright, the whole, the whole cast, like, wow, you know. Um, How was Anthony Hopkins? He was amazing. I had a really insane experience with that because because of his shooting availability, they had to shoot my, I had to direct my scenes earlier than my episode. I was in Alaska on a family vacation and they called and said, can you get to LA to come direct? So I went from literally 30 degrees to 120 degrees. Like, I kid you not, physically, like, literally into the frying pan <laughs> you show up with your oh my coffee jacket and <laughs> it was really painful i had to borrow some like you know summery clothes it was it was a little it was but it was so hot it was frightening you know we had to yeah. cut one day short and all these actors in their heavy period clothes the horses um but anthony was amazing and the most touching thing to me was that you know I shot two days and then I was leaving and on the car ride to the airport he called like he called me (laughs) I just remember like you know answering the phone and be like you know are you available to speak with Anthony Anthony and I was like yes (laughs) you know And, and he called to say um that you know, thank you, and that it was lovely to work with you. And he knew how tough a situation I'd landed in, you know, to come and have one afternoon of pre-production and then be working with him. And that is just, I've never, I've never had that happen. And just says everything, you know, like he did not have to do that, obviously. And that, but that's like, it was remarkable. And, you know, and I just like, I just, it's so extraordinary to work with people who are in their years, you have years of experience and are still such good human beings. And um, yeah. and I had that definitely Jeremy Irons, just what a mensch and so game to play. And, you know, Mr. Gossett Jr. still calls me to this day. Like, just, I'm, I'm so glad to have such extraordinary role models in these, in these elder gentlemen. It's so nice to hear that they're like that because, you know, they they don't have to be. But, you know, it's so much better for everybody, including themselves. And if you are, you know, I guess they're just being who they are. And, mm-hmm. you know, thankfully they, they can be there. Let's go on to the third part and the final part of the show now. Um, you know, could you give us any words of encouragement for aspiring directors trying to break into the industry right now? I think number one is be true to your own voice. You know, the only thing that will make you stand out is who you are, you know, and and your singular vision. And, you know, I say with all seriousness, just get to know yourself and your taste. Um, You know, I I wish I had started meditating 20 years ago, um, for real. And, um, or whatever it is that, connects you or grounds you. Um, And then to start making, 
you know, just whether it's photographs or writing or short films or, you know, the just start producing. Great advice. And I have read that you have uh, several projects that you're developing right now. Would you care to share any of that with us? Sure. Um, well, first up is The Baby, a pilot. It's for HBO uh, with Sister Productions making it. And um, it's really fun. It's been a wonderful treat to dive into this project with an incredible group of uh, female writers and producers. And I've you know, gotten to hire a whole crew. And um, with every pilot, it's the joy of kind of starting, building a new new ship and I'm very excited about that and then I have a television show that I've developed with my friend and writer Diana Sun um, it's based on a short story book called that time I loved you and we are out selling it now um, but it's it's a series I'm deeply passionate about and can't wait to make um, Scott Chaloff and Jeffrey Sellers are the producers. They optioned it and, and brought Diane and I on board. Uh, but it's a book of short stories that we're adapting for television series and very much hope to be moving forward on that. And, and that has been a treat to be a part of the envisioning it. You know, it'll be mm -hmm. to be a part of the creating it. Um, I'm attached to a feature called Silver Seas that Participant is producing, and that is, um, I'm in the script stage of that right now. I'm not writing it, I'm um, working with the screenwriter Anya Epstein, um, but that's been a great, great project to be involved in and hope to be shooting in the next year. And then um, I have attached to make a remake of The Wizard of Oz for New yeah, Line. It's a, it's, a, it's a little bit of a big one. <laughs> yes. A little bit, a little massive one. No pressure. <laughs> None whatsoever. <laughs> Can people find you on social media? Are you, are you on Instagram? Or I am on Instagram Twitter? as Nicole Cassell on Instagram. And I'm not on, I have a Twitter account, but I never read it and I never go on Facebook. Well, Nicole Cassell, you've been incredible thank Aww. you so much for being on the show your inspiration i love your work um, you. and i wish you all the best for the future thank you so much for having me i really appreciate it and that's the show thanks for listening if you have any questions or suggestions you can find me at jefftthomas.com or at jefftthomas on twitter and instagram Remember 19 media.